please join me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. The God who really is. The God who discloses himself to us in his word. The God who discloses himself to us in the mighty reality of our creation. Just go stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and look down into the Grand Canyon. Just stand at the base of Mount Rainier. Just stand, I'm just talking about places in North America. Just There are so many places where we can see the majestic power of God. Look at a leaf. Look at the detail of a leaf. Right down to as you stand shoulder to shoulder with microbotanists as they're looking into the single cell and seeing the DNA and seeing the complications that are in each. You've got about one, what is it, one trillion cells in this typical human body. What is the complication, the complexity of what is inside each cell of your body is greater than the complexity of what you see around you. That's astonishing. There was a fellow once, oh, this is about uh, 150 years ago, 160 years ago, by the name of Charles Darwin, who said, when we get good enough, and this is a paraphrase, when, but because when, he wrote his book, came out in the 1850s, when we get microscopes that are good enough that we can see down into the single cell, if it is not extremely simple, I'm wrong. <laughs> it is beyond, yeah, he was right. It's not extremely, it is beyond, complex isn't even an adequate word. That's the God who created you. That is the God who discloses himself through his prophets in this book to us. But he also discloses himself in that creation. So even if you don't have the Bible, you can look at the creation and know there is a creator that I ought to be pursuing relationship with. What could be more important that I, a creature, a created one, should have what an honor that I could be, have relationship with the one who created me. What an honor. And he discloses himself. He came to us over and over and over through the prophets, through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have all this narrative in the scripture in your own life, there was that moment or those moments when God himself spoke to you. And it shocked you. And you either stepped into or deeper into his kingdom. Why? Because he was pursuing you. 
the God of this book does not rely, does not love you a little bit. He loves you so much, he sacrificed his own son on a cross to endure a hideous, 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 immeasurable torture to deliver us. Because we deserve that torture he deserved. And that gave him, the Holy God, the freedom to just forgive us. Just forgive us. And to welcome us gladly, openly into his fellowship, into his kingdom. I just love the fact that in <clears throat> Revelation 21, it says that in the, the eternal reign of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will tabernacle, he will dwell with us. We will literally be sitting with him and have an eye-to-eye relationship with him he took us from hell to heaven in the fullest sense not reluctantly but gladly God's favorite word and this is from this is mercy he loves mercy but at the same time, this merciful God is a fearsome God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you defy Him, there is a penalty. And it's not small. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. 
I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But to him who does not have even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woe. Now I'm saying woe in two senses. W-H-O-A. Like you say on a horse. Woe. And I'm also saying, whoa, W-O-E, whoa, to that man. What do we see here? Is this not portraying our own life experience? Our Lord called us into fellowship with Him. You can look at this in, in terms of Christian history. Our Lord Jesus paid sin's penalty for us on the cross. He completely resolved our biggest problem that we could no way solve. I, a sinner, standing before the Holy God, have no way of moving from a position of condemnation to a way of, just, of being just before God, of being holy before the Holy God. But He did it for me. Jesus, God the Son, become a man, paid sin's penalty for me. We will conclude today's time together at the Lord's table. This is my body, this unleavened bread. Leaven, yeast, is a picture of sin in the Bible, and it's used as a metaphor. This is unleavened bread. This is sinless bread, so to speak. Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. What is the new covenant? Jeremiah 31. I will, I will, I will your sins and iniquities remember no more. He simply gives us forgiveness. The holy God is free to do that because he poured out the punishment on himself in the person of his son so that he would have that freedom. 
This is a God who is fierce not only with us, but with himself. His holiness demanded this of himself as if he was going to be free to exercise mercy. And he imposed that torture on himself so that he could be merciful to us. And here we have Jesus rises from the dead. He is observed for 40 days. He is viewed by over 500 people who saw the risen Lord. And then many, many of them witnessed him rise into heaven, the ascension into heaven. But he had told them, I will come again in like manner as you've seen me go. And there will be an accounting with you. An accounting, not for purposes of punishment, that's already been poured out on me on the cross, but for purposes of reward. I am the same God eager to pour out mercy on you is also eager to pour out lavish gifts upon you. Frankly, folks, that's just frosting on the cake. He's already done the biggest thing. I want to pour out lavish gifts on you. And so that is depicted here on to the three servants. One is given five talents. One is given two. One is given one. And after the Lord returns, he speaks to the man who has given the five talents. And he had invested this and put it to work in such a way that he's able to bring ten talents to his master. And the master says, well done, you good and faithful servant. You did what I called you to do. You have been faithful in a few things. I will make I will make you ruler, not faithful servant, ruler over many. That's a big change in job description. From servant to ruler over many. Man given the two talents. You gave me two talents and here I'm bringing back to you four. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many. He is lavishing reward upon them. We're going to find out in just a moment what this looks like. Because the third man comes to him and insults him. The third servant comes to him and insults him. You gave me one talent. And this is what I know about you. And frankly, folks, I'm going to tell you. The biggest things that slows any of us down in our Christian walk in our walk with our Lord is that we don't really understand what our God is like. We don't understand his power. We don't understand his love. We don't understand his mercy. We don't understand his goodness. We don't understand that he is present with us at all times. And this man insults his master. And many, many Christians carry concepts of God that are literally insulting to God, that do not match God's word at all. And what does this man say? Lord, 
I knew that you, I knew you to be a hard man. I knew that you were looking for opportunities to criticize me. I knew that you were looking for an opportunity to bring shame to me, that you were going to hold me to a standard that no one could meet. I knew you to be a hard man. I know that you are a man who reaps where you have not sown. I know that really you're a thief. You actually take away from other people the the fruits of their labor. You reap where you have not sown. You gather where you have not scattered seed. And again, he just amplifies that insult You are a thief. You take what is not rightfully yours. There was no way, there was no way, given this talent, that I was going to be able to return it or or it and and, an additional anything to you that you were not going to find reason to criticize me. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said, You wicked and lazy servant. No, it is not me. The culpable person in this relationship isn't me. It's you. You are a wicked and lazy sermon. You know, one of the things we're all geniuses at? Yeah, I'm a genius. At what? Self-justification. <laughs> I can justify anything, any choice I make. Now, they're stupid, but they're satisfying to me. We're all geniuses at self-justification. This man is a genius at self-justification, except it's not going to work out well for him. By the way, it doesn't work out well for us either. It's only when we are repentant and honest before God and receive His outrageous grace and mercy that we can walk into blessing. But we're good at justifying ourselves. Number one, we falsely accuse people who are righteous. Did that not happen with Jesus? Of course it did. You wicked and lazy servant, you simply didn't want to do the thing I asked you to do. You knew that I reap where I have not sown together, where I have not scattered seed. This is what you said about me. Did you even think about the logic of what you just said, the insulting words you said to me? Did you apply that logic? No, you didn't. If you were really that afraid of me, you would have done your best to do something. Instead, you chose to do nothing. Not even the simple thing of going to the banker and just putting it in a savings account. How hard would that have been? Instead, you buried it in the ground. Now I don't even get the interest. 
you wicked and lazy, lazy servant. You knew? And I think we can hear sarcasm dripping from these words as the master speaks to the servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Wait a minute. What? Who has the ten talents? Wouldn't you, wasn't the servant giving it all back to his master? Was the master's five talents that became the ten talents? He's just taking the master's investment that worked giving it back to the master. Apparently, that's not what happened. The master said, oh, no, you keep it, servant. You keep the ten talents. And to the man who had the two talents, they came back and said, now I have four. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Well, that included the four talents. No, you keep it. No, you keep it. Take the one talent and give it to the man who has the ten. In both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about an event called the judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment for purposes of punishment, but for purposes of reward. In fact, I believe it's 2nd Corinthians, he uses the word bema seat, which was the referee's stand at the Corinthian games athletic games where they passed out rewards to those who had won their events. And so our master, our Lord Jesus Christ, is looking for every excuse he can find in our present walk with him to bring us, to give us eternal heavenly reward. He wants to cover us up. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who have grandchildren, <clears throat> you have a hard time giving stuff to your grandkids. In fact, you have, in fact, their parents will often say, no, you're spoiling my child. God wants to spoil us. Except if you won't because we won't have our fallen natures anymore. So he can just go crazy <laughs> with stuff in his kingdom. But take the one talent away from him and give it to the man who has ten For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. He had an opportunity that he just simply set aside, didn't take advantage of, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, the lake of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is suggested here? There are people we rub shoulders with in God's kingdom. We don't even wonder if they are authentic believers. They say they are, but they're not. And I've, I've made this statement so many times. One of the most stunning events I believe in the Bible, in my reckoning, is that when Jesus in the upper room says to the apostles, all of them out loud, 
one of you will betray me. Nobody pointed at Judas Iscariot. They'd been together for three, three and a half years. Nobody pointed at Judas Iscariot and said, it's got to be that guy. In fact, he was the treasurer. And even though Jesus says, who will, who will betray me? The one, John, he's speaking to the apostles, the one to whom I give this up. He dips it in the oil, gives it to Judas Iscariot. And then Judas gets up and leaves. Why didn't John tackle him? Oh, I must be mistaken. No, it couldn't be Judas. He's the most trusted man in this. He's got the best education. He's got the highest social status of all of us, 12 apostles. Can't be him. It was him. Nobody said, oh, it's got to be Judas. No. David's betrayer, and this was a prophetic pattern replicated in the life of Jesus. The very, and it's the one when David says, Jesus says, he who lifted up his heel against, who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. He's actually quoting David, speaking of his closest advisor, Ahithophel, who betrayed him to his son Absalom. But that was a prophetic pattern replicated in the life experience of Jesus by Judas Iscariot. There are people in the visible kingdom that we think are authentic that aren't. Now, number one thing for me to do with that information is, okay, Lord, that's not me, is it? Check yourself. And of course, if you're an authentic believer, you will know it because you know God is present in your person in your life. But it's an important thing. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming. And when He comes, every person will be set in order in their proper place. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, He will have already caught up His people, called the church. We will have already been caught up and met Him in the air. We will have already gone through the Bema judgment seat. All authentic believers will have been caught up. The not authentic will have been left behind. But then, at the second coming of Christ, there will be two immediate judgments following His second coming, following the, the battle of Armageddon. The first will be, is found in Exodus, excuse me, Ezekiel 20. We won't turn to it. You can look it up on your own, Ezekiel 20, and it is the judgment of Israel. He will gather every Jew on planet Earth to what's called the wilderness of sin south of Israel. It's a known geographical location. He will gather every living Jew on the planet, and he will enter into judgment with them. And those who are authentic, he will lead into Israel, into their promised land, and those who are not will be cast into torments. And then will be the judgment of the nations. And that's where we will be next week, the last paragraph of Matthew 25. The judgment of the nations. And once that has taken place and he will cleanse, separate the sheep from the goats, then once those two judgments are over, the millennial kingdom will move forward with only, at that point, believers left on the planet 
who will then repopulate the planet. And then a thousand years later, there will be another judgment because their children won't all believe. The point is, folks, don't mess with God. This servant thought, I can just bury that talent. And when he gets back, my master will be upset with me. I know he's going to be upset with me, but frankly, I don't care and I'll survive it. No, you won't. Not when it's Jesus, not when it's God, you won't survive it. And we need to take God seriously when he gives us a warning. He's kind enough to give us the warning. Am I smart enough? Am I wise enough to heed it? I'll leave that between you and your own soul. We come now to the Lord's table. This is the commemoration of an event that solved our greatest problem as we've already reflected on it. Every single human being stands condemned before God with no way of solving that problem. And so God stepped in and solved it for us. The only thing we can bring to the process of that solution finding its way into our lives is an empty hand. Is faith to receive it. The beggar sitting at the side of the road with a tin cup and you walk by and you drop a couple quarters in it. He's received a benefit. All he did was hold out a tin cup and you gave him mercy. God gives us what we don't deserve. That's, mercy. That's the very definition of mercy. Undeserved favor. Forgiveness. And we're coming to this table as worshipers, as thankful people that God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves at immeasurable cost. And I've shared this with you before, but it's been about five years ago. My daughter, Katie, was serving as a soldier. She was near Huntington Beach, California. And uh, she had a fellow female soldier who was taking a philosophy class. She had just started a philosophy class at a nearby college. <coughs> and the first class <coughs> had met. And this young lady is a Christian. <coughs> and the professor, at the close of the first class, said, next meeting, we are going to be talking about that wicked, horrible God who discloses himself in Genesis 22, who tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, to the place that God will, that I will show you and sacrifice him to him. And Abraham does they get all the way to the place where they've built the altar, laid the wood on the altar. He has bound Isaac and laid his son Isaac on the altar. 
and he's got the flint knife in his hand, and he's coming down with it when God stops him. And she went to my daughter, what am I going to do with this? And my daughter said, oh, well, my father's a pastor. He'll know what you can do with that. And so she gave him my, her my phone number, and so she called me, and I said, young lady, there is no passage in the Bible that more powerfully proves God's love. God's love. Did he ask a hard thing of Abraham? Absolutely. But he stopped Abraham. He didn't stop himself. His own son, just as Isaac carried the wood for the offering up the hill. This is not an infant. This is a young man. His son carried the wood of his altar up the hill, was nailed to it. His father plunged the knife. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, become man, paid sin's penalty for us so that his Father would be free to forgive us. That, philo that philosophy teacher, can we say a knucklehead? <laughs> God knows what mercy is, and he did it.